The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 130. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave hearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position is wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hell, Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing a second Doctor story, a Patrick Troughton story, The Underwater Menace. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going? Very well. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who which is very logical. Uh, retweet us on Twitter when we, we, we're at at SQPN. And be sure to leave comments. Uh, we have some feedback at the end of this episode on some of our previous shows. And we love to get your feedback, positive, negative, or just discussion, anything. We love to, to kind of create that community feel and to be like we're, like we're in a conversation with you as well as among ourselves. We, we're doing this because we, we enjoy this interaction with our audience. And so we'd love to hear from you. And we'll give you all the, the uh, email as well at the end. But if you go to Facebook or on Twitter and leave us some feedback, we'd love it. So today we're talking about the episode, The Underwater Menace mm-hmm. from the second Doctor, like I said. Way, way, way better than The Phantom Menace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Although the special effects in The Phantom Menace well, might the be The effects are different, but the story <laughs> is much worse. So it broadcast in January of 1967. And it was four discrete sections, four mm-hmm. episodes in, within the whole story. And his companions are, this time, Polly and Ben, who had been with him since the regeneration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from the first Doctor. Uh, and they've just added, most recently, in the last episode, Jamie McCrinnon, the, the Scotsman from the Battle of Culloden, who joined him in the Highlanders. And this is his first full adventure with the Doctor. First traveling uh, adventure. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And it even so, shows him trying to figure out what the TARDIS is because he gets his first travel in the yeah, TARDIS right. in this episode as well. And, you know, he takes to it pretty well. I mean, he's mm-hmm. sort of willing to kind of set aside whatever lack of understanding he has and just enjoy the ride. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the things that makes Jamie a really great companion is he just rolls with the punches, whatever. He's in yeah. a strange environment. He just accepts what's going on and moves with it. Makes it, Make a witty comment towards the doctor and goes on with it. So... Well, before we get into the story itself, I want to talk about how each of us experienced it. So we've talked about before these. A lot of these early episodes are not available in their entirety or at all. We we totally missed the Marco Polo story because there was none of it exists anymore, except audio. Except audio, right? We, and we, maybe we could go back and do the audio of that. Yeah, too. it's a great story. Now that we've done a few uh, where it's a lot of audio, we could do that. But uh, this one, the only bits that exist in the original form are the, what is the fourth first and the fourth the, episodes it's the second and third it's second first and, okay. first and fourth don't exist in video form 
And they they planned a few years ago to do an animation to reconstruct those, but that didn't happen. And so if you want to see it, there are fan animations and there is a DVD, which is how I watched it, which has uh, episodes one and four reconstructed from the telly snaps. Those were the still images the BBC had this guy take off his TV screen. And so there's a telesnap reconstruction of episodes one and four with the video for episodes two and three. Right. And so that's how you watched it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And Father Corey, you you did what? So I did the Audible audiobook. Okay, that's what I did. Which is which is the original audio from the show. And then Annika Wills did linking narration. So if there are certain parts, uh, like there's a particular scene in this episode, uh, I think it was was at episode three, where it's the the fish people are swimming around and it's Mm -hmm. all just background music. There's no talking. And so yeah. she said the narration talking about what was going on at that moment. Right. So I did that. And then also if you search, I just did Google search, but it's on the BBC website. They've got telesnaps for these episodes where you can look at them like a slideshow. You know, it's, it's an old, old, old page, you know, so you got to click next to click next. And it's not a big picture, but it's still the telesnap. So you can be going along as you're listening mm. to the episode. You can be clicking through on the telesnaps and kind of get kind of the same effect that Jimmy had. Mm hmm. So I had uh, I had the same audio book that you had, Father Corey, but I didn't know about the telesnaps. I, d- I didn't think to look for those. Uh, and so I just had whatever the descriptions were. And it was interesting to me, on the audio book, there is a commentary, a little bit of commentary they do at the ba- uh, yep. the end, an interview between Annika Wills and the, a producer or somebody on the on the oh, book. And, and we should mention, in case we haven't, Annika Wills is the actress who played Polly. So she's one of yes. the companions. Yes. And that's typical for the audible and linking narration things. They often get one of the actors. They usually get one of the actors from the show to do it. These were official BBC releases, too. So that that helps a lot yeah. with that. These aren't these aren't yep. audible produced. These are BBC CDs that have been put onto audible. Yeah, right. And so there's this discussion that they have, which is I thought was very interesting. And one of the things she brings up, uh, well, one thing she brings up is that Patrick Shouten did not like the director of this uh, episode. Uh, They they, and she, in fact, she she says ruefully now that they treated her badly. They really treated this uh, Julia Smith, I think it was, uh, treated her very poorly. Yeah, uh, and she regrets it uh, the the way they behaved. Uh, And Patrick was the ringleader of it, which sort of doesn't surprise me uh, in this personality. But that also, uh, and Julia Smith went on to be, to start EastEnders, which is a huge hit in Britain. So she didn't suffer for for this. But one of the things she talks about is how when they did the audio book, they made some decisions about the dramatization or the presentation of it to go from to describe the the scene based on what the script says rather than what was actually built as sets mm-hmm. in the show, so that you get. When they describe, say, a a great cavern, you know, what we saw on TV or what someone saw on TV was a small room, which was was sort of a the the temple, say. Mm -hmm. But what they describe is the great cavern. And I really kind of like that idea because then I have a sense of the way the the author, the writer Mm -hmm. imagined it to be, maybe how it would be produced if they were to make this today. Yeah. Right. On the other hand, I, I like that aspect of it. On the other hand, there's a cost to just having the audio experience because especially for this story a lot of it is visual yes um you have uh you know there's uh, not, and, and the the key point for that is the fish people who right. who are not the antagonists in this they're kind of like victims um right. they're yep. they're people who've been t- 
turned aquatic against their will and are being used as slave labor. But they are very beautiful to watch. And, you know, Mm. it's a cheap budget at the time. You know, they didn't have this is a kid show, so they didn't have a big budget. So it's not the greatest costumes in the world, but you can see the producers of the show are really trying to right. give mm-hmm. the audience an interesting visual experience with these underwater people doing this underwater ballet kind of stuff. And they look strange and exotic. Um, there's also, as you mentioned, the temple where you have this in the visual, you have this gigantic face, stone yep. face of the goddess Amdo. Um, and that just looms over this room. And, and that's also something you wouldn't get really, you wouldn't get to see with a purely audio version. Right. You get to imagine it, but you won't, but you don't get to see how, how they brought it to reality. Yeah, Uh, exactly. uh, Listeners uh, and subscribers to the show will, will have seen what the fish people look like because, uh, that's the, the, the cover art for this episode of Secrets of Doctor Who Mm -hmm. is that. So you'll see what, what they would have looked like, but you wouldn't see the, the way that they moved on screen. So they, they're, yes, the TV, audio, they're different formats. Mm-hmm. They have, they have their strengths and weaknesses. Yep. And so, um, it's just, we, 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 with these old things, we, we get to experience them as best we can, you know, right. in, in these circumstances. There's kind of a, a funny note, uh, speaking of the, the draw, the commentary at the end that, that Annika mentioned is a lot of the footage that exists for Doctor Who in snippets, you know, not like full, full episodes, but just snippets were scenes that were cut because a particular TV broadcaster thought the scene was too intense. Yeah, when, right. they, when they sold it overseas in another right. country, they had different broadcast standards. So, if, for example, in this one, at the end of the first episode, Polly is going to be injected with a hypodermic needle, and they cut that scene out and then broadcast the rest of the episode. Well, the rest of the episode is missing, but that hypodermic needle scene still exists. Yeah. The yeah, cutting still exists. The so there's so many of that where these little trimmings still exist because they were cut for censorship purposes yeah that's funny and that that moment is uh, at the cliffhanger of episode one is where polly's about to be turned into a fish person against her will mm-hmm. so it's really dramatic they're like strapping her down to a surgery exactly. table and about to inject her i can see yeah that it was australia that didn't want to show that yes. yeah by the way so this episode involves atlantis and it's the mm-hmm. first time we go to Atlantis in Doctor Who. And in fact, the second Doctor initially refers to it as just a myth. Um, but then turns out, no, it was real. We also go back to Atlantis. Now, this is Atlantis in 1970. So it still exists yep. as a kind of lost underground underwater civilization in 1970. So it's a few years in the future of when the episode was broadcast. But we actually go back. In the third Doctor's time in the series, The Time Monster, the master is up to his usual shenanigans and the doctor ends up back in Atlantis at the time of the sinking. Mm. Um, And so we actually get to see Atlantean civilization in its prime uh, later on in Doctor Who. Interesting. Are those the only two in broadcast? Uh, The only two that I recall. I think I think they are the only two, but I could be mistaken. So we start with uh, the the th- where we left off with the Highlanders, where the Doctor and Jamie and Ben and Polly have all entered the TARDIS, and uh, or, or at least they're, they're heading toward the TARDIS. And Jamie is like, "Why are we all going inside the little box?" You know, that's the same mm-hmm. so, uh, same sort of thing. And uh, the Doctor quotes uh, Robert Burns at Jamie, who doesn't recognize the famous Scottish poet uh, Robert Burns because Burns wasn't even born yet. 
Right. Uh, but the, <laughs> but we have that a, a nice uh, a nice mention of Burns there, and uh, they still don't know where they're going to end up. This is we're still in a, the case where the companions are you know that the doctor isn't able to fly straight with the TARDIS, take him to a particular destination, except he gets all uh, upset about it. Uh, um, he's kind of defensive. He's kind of defensive about it. Yeah. Yes. The we This is something that didn't come across in the Telesnaps version, but uh, because you can't see what their faces are doing because they're frozen. But um, in as they're contemplating where the TARDIS is going to come out, we have a rare use of internal monologue in Doctor Who, where right. what you would have seen if you saw the episode broadcast was their their faces are animated, but they're not talking. And you hear a voiceover telling you what the characters are thinking. And so Polly's voice tells us she wants it to be Chelsea 1966. And, <laughs> okay. and Ben's internal voice tells us he wants it not to be the Daleks. <laughs> and who were in uh, two adventures ago, Power of the Daleks. Um, and the doctor is thinking prehistoric monsters. So <laughs> you know, know what he wants to see. Yes. Oh, uh, I did see. I, I didn't catch that. That's interesting that it was a voiceover yeah, I didn't, it did, uh, internal monologue. They didn't make it clear either that it was a, on the audio version, at least, that it was a, a, just a monologue but that instead of them, them kind talking. of talking to each other what they were hoping. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's the only time that happens in broadcast, right? Uh, Well, it may happen other times, but if so, it's rare. This is the only one that I know of. Incidentally, speaking of them talking to each other, it's it's interesting to see how much thicker skinned people were back then. Um, And frankly, it's kind of refreshing. Uh, (laughs) Ben at one point is uh, is talking to Jamie, and he's explaining the TARDIS, and he says, "It's a machine, my old haggis." And it's like, yeah. <laughs> you refer to someone as your old haggis today and like, wow, the hackles are going to come up. You know, oh, it's like yeah. back then it just kind of rolls with it. No big deal. Yeah. Although every time Harry calls um, old uh, thing. Yeah. yeah. Old thing. Call, yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> that still makes me cringe. So uh, they're, oh, they that's, land just, on- that's just PG Woodhouse style affection. Yes, that's right. Uh, so they land on a uh, rocky shore of volcanic rock. The doctor characterizes it as so they they know it's not Britain, and uh, he said uh, it's twenty five million year old volcanic rock. Mm-hmm. And Ben and Polly climb up uh, uh, this slope that's that's near them. By the way, the fact they're on a beach is it seems to be kind of characteristic of Patrick Troughton's time. Later on, we got lots of rock quarries. But um, for some reason, Patrick Troughton stories tend to tend to have introductions and conclusions that occur on beaches. I can think of several (laughs) examples where that's the case. And it was this was filmed on location, they said. uh, uh, Let's see. Where was that um, in Dorset? Yeah. Uh, along the ocean. So maybe someone just had a vacation home in Dorset. I was was wondering if there were some (laughs) vacation homes involved. Yeah. uh, Again, Annika Wells says in the commentary track that. the, they were well remembered in the pub down there in this town where they where they went to when, they, when she went back years later she ended up buying a house in this town not realizing it's the same town oh. and went in and 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 the folks recognized her and uh, they were they would they had they had a picture on the wall the time they came into the into the pub I can imagine Patrick Troughton 
in a pub. Like, yeah. oh, he, he he was kind of an impish guy in real life, and yeah. he with his <laughs> with the young companions, it, it, all of the companions during the Patrick Troughton era, they kind of had some behind the scenes fun. I just I think it, I think he's a lot like Robin Williams in that sense. So Robin Williams mm-hmm. as the Doctor would have been very mm. Patrick Troughtonish. Uh, so they yeah. they climb they, yeah, <laughs> they climb up this volcano and then Polly sees something moving but isn't sure. Uh, the boys leave her alone, uh, Jamie and Ben, and she finds a bracelet in a cave. She screams, and then you know she's she's gone. We cut to a different scene with the doctor finding some pottery on the beach, uh, and he identifies it as Mediterranean. He says this it has to be Mediterranean, but it's a tidal sea uh, that they're on. Mm-hmm. And so I had to look it up. The Mediterranean has tides, but they're very short tides of only a few centimeters mm. uh, because of the 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 um, Straits of Gibraltar mm-hmm. prevent the rise and fall of the of the tides of the of the Mediterranean much more. It's it's a constriction. It's like a bottle. Mm. So uh, I, I never knew that. I, I learned something new every day. So mm-hmm. I did not know that there wasn't really tides in the Mediterranean. So that is a mismatch. And that connects with the idea of Atlantis being connected to Greek civilization or one of those ancient Mediterranean civilizations. And then, uh, so Ben and Jamie are thrown in a net, thrown into a cage. The doctor's thrown in with them. And then they descend in a cage. It's an elevator. And as they go down, 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 they they pass out from, what was it, lack of oxygen, I think? The bends. Yeah. Something. The bends. Yeah. Kind of the reverse of of kind of decompression illness. By the way, there's a little bit of technological stuff in here that I don't know the writers were even conscious of, but there's another Jamie technology thing because uh, as so Polly has gotten tired, which is the first of many times she's going to get tired and not keep up with the others in this story. Yep. Um, yeah. But that's why Ben and, and Jamie go on ahead. But Ben, when they go into this cave, Ben has a flashlight, which being British, he refers to as a torch. Mm-hmm. But to a guy from the 1700s, a torch is going to mean something completely different. <laughs> yeah. And and Jamie doesn't even blink. He just rolls with it. Right, right. It's fire contained in that metal thing. Uh, so when they wake up, Polly guesses that it's uh, the year is 1970 because she thinks the bracelet has something to do with the 1968 Olympic Games in Mexico, which is interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that, that, that'd be like uh, the... the Tenth Doctor uh, episode where the Olympics in London were coming up. Now, of course, we watch its past. Right. Of course, the '68 Olympics would have been a year after this aired. Right. Yeah. But now, the in retrospect, was this bracelet like a Atlantean bracelet, or was it one of the bracelets no, it was, left by? It, 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 was, it was from one plastic. of the. Yeah, it was from one of the seamen, presumably, or passengers on the cruise ships that the Atlanteans had or had captured. Could have oh. even floated across the ocean depending on how far it is yeah. from you know and you said it was plastic father Corey, yes. like a modern plastic yeah they, bracelet. they, they oh, okay and, and it shows later in the episode or it talks about how it's not a an ancient bracelet it's a modern reproduction okay yeah. that is again somewhere where the audio does not give me everything i need to know uh about you know the, the entire context interesting so Polly tries talking to the guards. Uh, she tries French, German, and Spanish. They get down to the bottom of the shaft, and then at this point, a man who's apparently a border tradition Morris dancer comes in because he's wearing tatters, <laughs> and um, and like moves them out, and they they try talking to him. And again, we have a kind of a, a 
refreshingly politically incorrect reference from Ben. He says, Polly, you speak foreign. Go and ask him where we are. <laughs> and, and she tries French, German, and Spanish, and then Jamie tries Gaelic. Yeah, I think Gaelic was a bit of a reach there, but uh, okay. <laughs> um, but it, what's interesting is at this point, there's no TARDIS translation circuit. Uh, nothing to you know to do that translation for them, apparently, or is there? Mm, it's inconsistent. Yeah, because they do eventually communicate with these people. Yeah, I think the the Morris dancer is just being um, uncommunicative. It's like okay. it's not his job to talk to them, so he's not talking to them. All right, and and uh, it's, they, it, we have a nice Patrick Troughton line too here, where they're as they're being hustled out of the chamber into this dangerous unknown environment outside underground. Um, the doctor says, "Women and children last," so he gets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So they but also then let's Polly um, go first anyways. <laughs> they're, they're brought to a room where they get, they're being fed, and the doctor goes crazy for this food, which is plankton. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the food is, becomes very important in the, in the plot of this episode. But he, he's, oh, this is ambrosia, he says. And then Polly says, I've never seen him go for food like this. It's usually hats, which also yeah. plays a role. Yep. Actually, not just in this episode. I think it's a Patrick Troughton yes. uh, shtick that they do with him, that he loves hats. Early on, especially. That kind of fades with time. Yep. Mm, but then they okay. bring it back with the 11th Doctor, who especially is with patterned Fez's. after Patrick Troughton's Doctor. Yep. Right. Fez's and Stetsons. And the Stetson Fez. and all that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they, are, they introduce to Ramo, the uh, priest of the Atlantean people, who says they... They were predicted by their goddess, and uh, they say the doctor, Yamdo, yeah, yep, and they say the doctor and the companions are are to be part of their vernal equinox ceremony. So apparently, yeah. it is March twentieth, nineteen twentieth, nineteen seventy, 21st. 20th, I looked it up. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I, sh I should have gone with that and made it made it look like it was smart, but uh, I just guessing. So the doctor knows that there is a Professor Zaroff who is present among the Atlanteans who. Is not an Atlantean, but a, a, a modern uh, European sort of folk. And he he deduced that based on the food. The, yes. So apparently Dr. Zaroff was known for introducing food made out of plankton. Um, and this would have been really exotic back in the 60s as opposed to now. It's like, okay, sushi, I, yeah, seaweed, fine. Give me some nori, you know. Yeah, but, exactly. But, uh, there, was a, there was this movement back in the, especially like in the 50s and 60s, of the industrializing of food. We're going to use science and industry to perfect food and make the best kind of food to feed everyone, which is very interesting, which is sort of the opposite of what we are today, which is, oh, local food, back to the way our grandparents mm -hmm. made food. You know, that sort of thing. It's very well, interesting. It's, and so this is more like that. Well, it's mm -hmm. interesting, too, because then you watch something like Star Trek, which is roughly contemporary mm -hmm. to this, and the food they yep. eat is basically colored jello cubes. Yes, the cubes of modern you know uh protein balls and yeah all the nutrition none of the flavor so so they are taken uh for their ceremony to the temple of amdo which is a, a cavern with a fish woman goddess uh statue we only see uh, her face though yes and uh they're bound and prepared to be dropped into a pool of sharks no word on whether they have laser beams on their heads <laughs> no sign of laser beams Yes, no, a nice Austin Powers reference. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. but uh, they're they're about to be dropped in, and then uh, a, a, the the doctor says, "No, tell uh, Professor Zaroff that the doc that the doctor is here. That uh, you know, I'm here. Take a message." 
um, and this serving girl that he saved from from being uh, hit by Ramo, I guess it was, uh, befriends them and is willing to take that yeah. that uh, message. Her name is Ara, and she, and so the doctor gives her a note, and this note is I don't know what it what they did in the audio version for this note, but it's actually crucial to a long-standing fan debate about mm. the doctor's name mm-hmm. because you have a lot of modern fans who have forgotten in the original series he was doctor who not just the doctor yep and um what the note which we see on screen says is vital secret will die with me doctor w so yep. he's and, holding himself out as Doctor Who in this, which Missy, way down the line in the Twelfth Doctor's time, points out he was the one that introduced that name. Yeah, in fact, there isn't there a uh, earlier reference in Doctor Who up to the Doctor in, in the Highlanders? He passes himself off as a German doctor named Doctor von Veer, which would mean Doctor Who in German. Okay, and, yeah, I think there was even earlier, like in the first Doctor's time, there was some reference but I'm, I'm not sure now I, I i thought i saw something i forgot to write it down but uh zaroff the, who uh, presumably the doctor and zaroff have a history of some sort no i they've never met um but the doctor knows about him okay but zaroff doesn't know the doctor but something about yeah. this note he means he's got to run and find out what it is and stop mm-hmm. the sacrifice right and he then recognizes the doctor as a man of intelligence that he thinks can be of use to him so Zeroff stops the ceremony and uh, the doctor gets the companions released and then they're sent to the labor controller. The companions are sent to the labor controller to be put to work while the doctor stays behind and flatters Zeroff, noting that he survived faking his death 20 years ago. So that right. would have been 1950 um, mm-hmm. and that both the East and the West blamed each other. So, like, apparently, and Zaroff seems to have, I, I, I don't know, what I haven't looked it up. The name Zaroff sounds Russian to me, but he kind of mm-hmm. speaks with what seems like maybe a German accent. But I don't know, maybe he's, he's either German or Russian. But he seems to be a kind of, have been a kind of scientist or something during World War II who introduced this plankton food maybe after the war and then faked his death in the Cold War in 1950 in a way that led both sides in the Cold War to blame each other. Yeah, I think that's actually the actor Joseph First's actual accent. Uh-huh. He's Aust- he's Austrian. Austrian, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I might but yeah, it could it could be also implied that he was Eastern European or or Russian even. Uh so the the interesting thing is the so Ben and Jamie are sent to the mines. Mm-hmm. Uh Polly uh- is is taken by Zaroff's assistant Damon. And is told basically that you're going to be turned into one of these fish people. And now the fish people are their undersea uh, are, farmers. Are, yes, they're yeah. slaves. They're people who've been modified with with uh, uh, gills. gills. Yeah, uh, that and then they they're the ones who produce all the food in the mm-hmm. in the colony for for all the Atlanteans. And this is a crucial thing. They apparently have not invented refrigeration even though you would think that this is cold anyway because of the seawater. So all of the right. food goes bad in like 2 hours if there's not new food introduced every 2 right. hours. Yep. So this is going to be important later. Right. It's a horribly inefficient system. Yeah. Uh 
And it, it all looks, in, at this point, it all sort of feel, looks and feels a lot like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got that vibe to it. And, and, and the same sort of, uh, the, you know, the undersea world will is that, is the future of humanity sort of stuff, uh, that, that, the 20,000 Leagues had. Yeah. It. Except the Atlanteans uh, have tried that and they don't like it. So what's, what Zaroff has done after he faked his death, he found his way to Atlantis and he's become a, not the leader, but a very prominent person in Atlantis because he's promised to lift Atlantis out of the sea again. And so right. that's what he's told the Atlanteans he's going to do. Right. So that that's with, at the end of this first episode, the doctor figures out this is Atlantis. And Zaroff then, between the, between the first and second episode, explains his plan and explains how Atlantis survived being submerged at All the time of, at the time of the flood, he says. So, yeah, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. You could, I guess, headcanon that to just mean the flood of Atlantis, but it sure sounds right. like a biblical reference. Exactly. Right. Right. Now, uh, Polly is about to be uh, fishified, and uh, the doctor needs to stop that, so he messes with the fuse box, <laughs> which. Uh, oh, did I disable this? Ooh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Oops. And yeah. so, Ara, Ar- the slaving girl, uh, the the serving girl, uh, uh, saves. Saves Polly from the the big hypodermic needle, um, and then Zaroff explains that he plans to drain the Atlantic Ocean into the planet's core. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which which is just as as ridiculous in the doctor's eyes as it sounds, because the doctor yeah. immediately points out that's going to create superheated steam. It's going to crack the Earth's crust, destroy all life, maybe crack the planet apart. And Zaroff doesn't care because he's technically of going to fulfill his promise to the Atlanteans of lifting them above the waves again. And the fact the planet's going to be destroyed in that process is just like greater proof of yay science for him. Right. He says, the duck says, why are you doing this? And he says, why? You, a scientist, asked me why? The achievement, my dear doctor, the destruction of the world. The scientists dream of supreme power. Yeah. Like, like it's it's the ultimate in in like the that idea of like scientists who do things just because they can, not because it's right or you're not you know it's it's not going to destroy everything. Yeah. By the way, if you if you uh, if you're thinking uh, Joseph first looks familiar as a mad scientist, he's also in the James Bond story Diamonds of Forever oh. as a mad scientist. So, oh. uh, so it's. Maybe he's really a mad scientist in in real life. (laughs) Incidentally, one of the things that they point out in the commentaries on the DVD, because they have some bonus features, Mm -hmm. is um, that, you know, Zaroff, so this is early days for Patrick Trout, and he's still figuring out who his doctor is. And, um, And this episode plays a significant role in the future direction of the second doctor, because Zaroff is so over the top crazy that um and just loud and bombastic and everything Mm -hmm. that patrick troughton decides i've got to underplay my doctor in order to deal with this guy i can't over the top him back and so he takes a deliberately understated uh reading and it's like just one small question why do you want to blow up the world (laughs) <laughs> and and so from this point forward, we really get Patrick Troughton trying to be Mr. Understatement. Right. It, now, a couple of things come up. So you can't just drain the Atlantic Ocean because yeah. all the oceans are connected. So it would be the entire oceanic system of the, of the world. So 70% of the world's area, land area. And he's going to drain it into the core, which it's not like the core is a big empty space. Yeah. 
But also, yeah. the idea that if you pour it all in there, it will blow the earth apart, like well, steam in a kettle? He, he, he They use the steam in the kettle analogy, but... Um, I mean, they don't. He just speculates maybe it'll blow the earth apart. But what he does say is it's going to shatter the crust. And well, that's kind of true. If you could get, if you forced all the water down under the crust, it would, you know, superheat. Things will break. It would probably break the crust in a bunch of places. Okay. Okay. Probably at least have steam geyser volcanoes all over the place. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's a bad idea anyway because you know. Yeah. Why? Why risk it? Okay. So uh, they they. They get Ben and Jamie are in the mines and they meet uh, Sean and Jacko, who are uh, sailors uh, that have been shipwrecked and now are on Atlantis. Yeah. And uh, Sean and Jacko are hiding a, a compass. Sean is very Irish, <laughs> which uh, means he's, he gets along famously with Jamie. <laughs> uh, he's not only really Irish, he's really most sincerely Irish. <laughs> yeah. And Jacko is suspicious. <laughs> yeah. He just he does not like anybody. Uh, it's very hard to warm up to anybody. Uh, they, they, uh, by the, by the way, Patrick Troughton has another really great understated line where after he's, after Era has helped Polly escape from Damon, the Atlantean physician who's going to turn her into a fish woman. Um, oh, and she has this line that Annika Wills says became a standard behind the scenes of you're not going to turn me into a fish. (laughs) Apparently that became quite the line behind the scenes for some time. Um, yep. but after, uh, after Damon, you know, has learned, has come in and said, Polly's escaped. The doctor says, oh dear, how very frustrating for you. And he says it really kindly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, actually, uh, Polly has another great line where she, where Damon is showing her the fish people who have the plastic gills before she knows she's about to be turned into one. And, and the team says, that surprises you, doesn't it? And she says, it's breathtaking. Oh, sorry, that wasn't meant to be a pun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that is awesome. Good pun. I would have gone for that one. So uh, the doctor talks to Damon about how they build their labor pool by converting shipwreck, shipwreck survivors into either slaves in the mines or fish people. Uh, then he escapes. Uh, Sean and Jocko are planning to escape into a tunnel that they've discovered in the mines. And Ben and Jamie agree to go with them. So there's a, there's a lot of back and forth at this point this, uh, yep. between the, the groups. Uh, Running through tunnels. Yes, there's going to be a lot of running through tunnels. This is reminiscent of modern who. Uh, Damon and Ramo, they end up discussing Zaroff's plan to dis- to to raise Atlantis as, from their point of view. Damon, and again, Damon is Zaroff's assistant. He thinks Zaroff's plan is to raise Atlantis, but Ramo thinks that Zaroff appeals to the Atlantean people's destructive impulses too much. So Ramo seems to be, he'll be the, the key yeah. to undermining mm-hmm. Uh, Zara's support among the Atlanteans. Yeah. Ramo is the priest. Yes. And once the doctor explains to Ramo what the actual plan is and how it's going to not only end Atlantis, but end everyone in the world, um, Ramo takes the doctor to talk to the actual ruler of the Atlantean civilization, who's a guy named Thus, and, yep. um, and try to convince Thus that Zaroff cannot be trusted. Yeah, and uh, the doctor gets to play dress up in Atlantean priest clothing. Yeah, and he gets uh, mm-hmm. he loves the headdress. He, he gets dressed up several times here, which is one of the things they were experimenting with, with for Patrick Troughton's doctor at this time was having him be, take on different disguises. Yep. Uh, so Jamie, Ben, Sean, and uh, Jacko, the the foursome there uh, from the mines, they've escaped. They had this clever plan to escape from a work uh, gang uh, to with uh, Jamie providing distractions. Jamie and Ben providing distractions. And they 
finally emerged from the this tunnel that they found at the base of the idol Amdo in the in the temple, mm-hmm. uh, who meets up with Polly, who's been hiding there. She was put there by Ara. Yeah. It it turns out the tunnel didn't lead to the surface like they were hoping. It led to a chamber behind the idol face, and there's a door right. they can get out into the main temple area. And as you say, the the, the doctor goes to Thus and tells him that Zaroff is mad, and and explains it like watch his eyes when he's talking about his plans. Uh, that's the, he's got crazy eyes, which is, <laughs> I, I love and. Uh, but is barely able to even start to make an argument before the king sides with Zaroff and and, yeah. and has Zaroff uh, come to take the doctor away to be sacrificed in the temple after all. Um, but but as the doctor and Ramo are about to be sacrificed by people wearing goofy fish masks. Mm. OK, haven't haven't seen that yet. And ridiculous yep. rubber hose headdresses. <laughs> See, this is. Why I'm kind of glad I've only listened to the audio and not seen the, yeah, the crazy practical Yeah, some of the, some of the snaps are kind of bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, during this, at the execution, someone speaks from inside the head of Amdo, demanding everyone close their eyes because Amdo is going to bring judgment upon uh, the Doctor and Ramo, and no one should look. Keep your eyes closed. Don't look up. Yeah. Don't watch as the Doctor and Ramo sneak away through Pay the no little door at the, the base of the statue. leaving the room. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I thought that was a very, a very funny. Uh, it's like the uh, blessing at the end of mass when you're supposed to lower your head. And I, you know, and, 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 and as a kid, you look up to make sure everybody else has got their head down. You know, that, yeah. that one. <laughs> oh, I thought that, that was when people sneak out. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, that's what the doctor and Ramo do here. They sneak out of the temple area into the little chamber behind the idol mask, at which point they start talking and, and they're like, Ben, I think, it says like, oh, Polly, keep it down. They're going to hear us. And she says, no, I've closed the bunghole. And yeah. I'm like, <laughs> let's look up the word bunghole and see what it meant at this time. Oh, see, it, I knew what that meant. Yeah. It, it, it turns out that a bung is a stopper. And yep. so in a cask of wine, let's say, yep. when you close the stopper, you've closed the bunghole. And so yeah. she's closed the she's put a stopper in like the idol's mouth so that their voices can't go through uh, to the temple. Yeah, see, it, it, I'm guessing there was like a speaking tube that you yeah, know, yes. like, a, yeah. like a megaphone that they spoke into. Yeah, we're not, we're not talking about uh, Beavis and Butthead here, no. <laughs> right. See, when I lived in Salem, Massachusetts, which is a seafaring town, uh, the there was a liquor store down the street from me called the Bunghole, which oh. uh, caused great amusement for all the tourists. Oh, but yes. <laughs> they were at pains to explain what it was. But so I kind of I kind of knew already. Uh, so the uh, the priest of Amdo, uh, Lalum, uh, goes to tell the king that the goddess ate the doctor and Ramo. But Zaroff, of course, scoffs and then angers the other with his unbelief. He is he is a non-believer. He is an atheist who does who only believes in the power of science and not of of religion. Here. So uh, one thing that, that struck me at this point is the stakes in this story are unlike in a lot of classic who. Yeah, these are big stakes. This yes. is the whole world. The world's the world's fate isn't in, is in the balance here. So it's kind of interesting. But that works when it's not every week. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when it's occasionally. Uh, oh, now we have really big stakes. So I, I just wanted to point that out because we've mentioned that before in other episodes. It, it it's interesting also how you know Patrick Troughton now they take the edge off this immediately. I don't think this is conscious. They're not making any statement here, but just for purposes of drama, they have Patrick Troughton deliver this line: "We must attack Zaroff," and it's like, 
wow, directly frontal in our attack plans here. Um, <laughs> right. You know, much more so than you wouldn't have a modern doctor saying it that way. But then it turns out, oh, he doesn't mean a physical attack on Zaroff. He means we need to get the fish people to go on strike to starve Atlantis yes. out. A labor action. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the plan is to get the, yeah, the fish people, because the, the Atlantis needs them to be constantly providing food day and night. Uh, if they go on strike for just a few hours, all the seafood, all the food in, the, in, in Atlantis will go bad. And they haven't figured out how to make salt cod yet. So uh, or smoked I mean, fish. Smoked yeah, exactly. Fish or, and you have a dozen different ways of preserving seafood. Uh, so they, they have a plan where they're going to kidnap Zara from the marketplace. Uh, there's a foot pursuit, guards, the doctor blows sleeping powder into Zara's face. Out of his, his recorder. Yeah. Out of his recorder. It's very Batman, you know, yes. 1960s series. That's right. The doctor does play the recorder at a couple of points here where yes. you're like, uh, wouldn't it be better to be quiet than hide? He gets but, bored. Okay. He's just playing the recorder. Yeah. 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 Also, I really like the Atlantean market that we get to see where they do this. Um, even though this is a small budget show, they've somewhere gotten a lot of costumes for the Atlanteans. I assume they're largely recycled, but they've added mm -hmm. shells to the costumes and stuff to make them seem underwatery. Mm -hmm. And they even have like boys and women, you know, running around like b little boys playing in, in the marketplace and stuff like that. And they didn't have to yeah. do that. That's it's nice yeah. visual texture to all of this. By the way, Annika Wills says that the uh, the, the classic, the uh, shell clothing dress that she's wearing mm -hmm. with the top was two scallop shells. She said it was very uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> so, I'm sure. I can imagine. It was, it was funny, though. I, you didn't see this, Dom, but. Uh, the doctor was wearing sunglasses a la the 12th Doctor's sonic shades. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's who was dis his disguise in the marketplace? With he, was, sunglasses. he had like, like a hood on or whatever, a covering, and his sunglasses. Yeah. Were they Ray-Bans, though? So Sean, the extra Irish guy, goes to convince the fish people to, to strike, and he initially gets their attention by insulting them. Right. And they get mad and start throwing stones or fish or something back at him. Yeah. But then he, he turns the insults into, you guys are so dumb, you don't realize you're the real power here. You just need to go on strike. And and then we see this uh, that Father mentioned. Uh, we see this underwater sequence where some of the fish people have heard Sean, and they're taking it, what he said seriously, and they travel around in this kind of underwater ballet to other fish people and we don't hear what they're saying because it's underwater but yep. through one means or another whatever sign language or whatever they're or some other form of speech they're communicating the idea of let's go on strike to these other fish people and it's a really fortunately this survives in video format not just mm -hmm. in telesnaps and so you can actually see the underwater ballet and it's clear that it I, I had to look closely because it's so well executed. It's very graceful. It looks for at surface glance, it looks like they're filming this underwater in a swimming pool somewhere that these actors are really buoyant. You know, they're floating. Um, but I'm thinking there's no way they had the budget to do that. And, and, and so you you look close and yeah, you can see that these are actors in a wire harness. Um, yep. like you have in Peter Pan to accomplish the flying uh, effects. But so they're floating around on these wires in their suits, but um, they've really executed this well. They have bubbles 
uh, arising in the foreground and the background uh, that are like bubbling up through the water and you have these plants waving in water. And there's no way all of those are on wires and certainly the bubbles aren't. And so what I can only assume is they had like front and perhaps back mounted aquariums that they're using and they're shooting through this to mm. accomplish the floating plants and the bubbles. Mm. It could be. Yeah, Annika Wills mentioned in the, the commentary at the end of the audio that, yeah, they were just in a, on a studio somewhere and they were kind of just suspended from the ceiling, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and she, she kind of mentioned that about, you know, the low budget of the production. Because you can imagine it would have been a lot more expensive to shoot a scene like that in wa- actual Under, water. Yeah. Underwater. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. They, they really sell it well. I was impressed, given the budgetary limitations and the technological limitations they had at the time. And it was a bit of an extended sequence. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, they, they gave some minutes to the of the show to that. So uh, they get Zaroff back to the their hiding place in, in the head of Amdo. Uh, and they confront him, and he collapses. Seemingly a panic attack or something. Right. Now, they can't be sure whether him being you know, taken out of commission like this, taken in prisoner by them, stops the project. So they have to you know, continue to go and uh, you know, actively stop it. Uh, but then as the doctor and the others go, they leave Ramo and Polly with him, uh, seemingly unconscious. He's, he's faking it. Mm-hmm. Jumps up, kills Ramo. And takes Polly. But first, he tells uh, Ramo that he's seen the light and he wants Ramo to help him stand up and pray to Amdo for redemption. Right. And 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 so Amdo does, and that's when he attacks uh, Ramo and stabs him to death with a spear. Right. And so Jamie was right. It was all a ruse. <laughs> right. Jamie's ready. And I like the fact that Zaroff later attacks Jamie with a sword. But of course, Jamie knows how to fight against yeah, the sword. Yeah, he knows how to do hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, uh, you know, Zaroff is a, is a piker compared to, uh, to Jamie. But uh, Zaroff does escape um, anyway, and he confronts... Uh, he kidnaps, kidnaps Polly and, and then has the confrontation with Jamie, who rescues Polly. But he yeah. gets away. Uh, Zaroff wants to kill the... Revo- he talks to Thus, and he, he says he wants to kill the revolting fish people. But Thus, who up to now has kind of been on Zaroff's side, views the fish people, even though they're slaves, they're his people. They're part of the civilization he is entrusted with protecting and governing. And he says he won't let his his own people be killed. So he sees the fish people as his people. Right. Well, Zaroff says, you know, your people, they're mine now. I hold the whole world in my power. And uh, Zaroff demands, and and uh, I mean, uh, Thus demands. Zaroff calls him a fool and says, uh, "You know, I will send you to your goddess." And uh, pulls out a pistol from somewhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> which he apparently didn't have earlier, and shoots Thus. Yep. And we think he's dead. And and then he gets to deliver the awesome line: "Nothing in the world can stop me now," <laughs> which, except the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Famous last words. Yep. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Zeus had, had realized based on the doctor, like, look at, look at this crazy eyes that he had started, he started to realize that, yeah, Zaroff is crazy. So we've, we come to the, to the last episode and, and Zaroff is getting things ready. He's pushing the, the timetable forward, time to destroy the world. 
The workers, they find out, though, are starting to abandon their posts in the in Zara's project as word of the food strike spreads. And there's a little bit of panic. Like if if there's going to be food, I better go get some or mm-hmm. something along mm-hmm. those lines. Um, I, I, so the doctor and Ben are heading toward, I think, a power station yeah, or yeah. one of the project stations. The, the doctor wants to guarantee that um, that the plan to raise Atlantis by lowering the oceans fails and the way he wants to guarantee it fails is by flooding the lower portion of Atlantis where the machinery is that Zaroff's plan depends on so right, he's going right. he's going um they're going to sabotage the power station to cause the sea the the rock chambers to melt enough to let in some seawater to flood these lower chambers where all Zaroff's machinery is I do like so they have to get past this guard. Uh, it it, it was it Ben is dressed up as yeah uh, as a guard, and he, the guard demands a uh, a password, and he's like, <laughs> yeah. and it, 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 he, the doctor tricks him into giving him the password, yeah. um, saying you don't know the password either. He says it's Oscar. Now get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so then they use the password later on to get past the other guards. Yep. So also very, there's, very... there's there's a great bit where they're preparing to confront the guard and Ben turns to the doctor and says, "Do you know what you're doing?" And the doctor says, "Oh, what a question. Of course I don't. There's no really <laughs> trying, is there?" <laughs> so and then uh, so they they manage to uh, cause the 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 flooding to begin and then Polly and Jamie are racing against the rising tide. They're climbing this cliff, trying to get out of uh, this area where the water is coming in. The uh, the Atlantis is being the, the lower levels of Atlantis anyway are being abandoned, evacuated. Um, Th- Thus is not dead. He's mm-hmm. gravely he's injured, injured, but he's not dead yet. But Damon yeah. is helping him get back up to the surface. So we have these multiple, uh, or at least get higher than with the area mm-hmm. of the flooding. So we we don't actually get all of our characters together at this point. As Atlantis is falling, we're tracking yep. three different groups of people. We've got right. the Doctor and Ben, we've got Polly and Jamie, and we've got uh, Damon and Thus. And each group is just kind of fending for itself as Atlantis is flooding. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Doctor and Ben are confront Zaroff in his uh, laboratory, and Zaroff has this portcullis that he drops. And so he's inside this special area where he's got the button that he needs to press so they can't get to him. But they trick Zaroff into coming out of from out of the portcullis and then Ben drops the portcullis behind him so he can't get back through. Like the only way to raise mm-hmm. the portcullis is from inside this chamber. It's a very poor design. <laughs> and so yeah. so Zaroff is left and- as the water rises trying to reach through the bars of this portcullis to press the button. Yeah. And the doctor wants to go back and rescue Zaroff from drowning, but Ben pulls the doctor out and won't let him do it. Right. And so uh, Zaroff drowns, the lower levels are flooded, and apparently this device that can destroy the world is still there in Atlantis underwater, ready to be activated by somebody. Rusting. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Hopefully rusting in such a way as that it will never (laughs) self-activate, too. So we can hope. So uh, Damon vows to rebuild Atlantis without the gods because he blames the gods for making them follow Zaroff. Yeah, mm-hmm. he says, and and also we're getting rid of slave labor too. So we were suddenly very enlightened. Um, he yeah. says he wants to build, uh, abandon the Atlantean temples and build a new Atlantis without gods and without fish people because it was the superstition and I guess the slavery that led to problems. Mm-hmm. 
and Thuis agrees to this. Right. Now, you know, it, I, I'm of two minds here. Like, I, I'm, I'm okay with the idea of you know, like letting science guide your, you know, the thing and leaving superstition behind. But this idea of, oh, having the having gods is a is a problem, or having religion is a problem. Well, one of the things. So, if you think about this from a 1960s perspective, um, I don't think this is meant to be a fundamentally anti-religious statement. I think it's just because back then the intellectual divide was not so much atheism versus any kind of religion mm-hmm. it was a, it was enlightened stuff which would be like monotheism or in depending on your view of enlightenment atheism versus that crass pagan polytheism okay and so i think this is meant to be a rejection of idolatry and polytheism not a rejection of the idea that there's a creator behind the universe. Okay, so that that makes more sense. Yeah, it's, it fits more into the into the the, the way the world were, was working at the time. Uh, so uh, then Jamie and Polly eventually do reach the surface. Then the Doctor and Ben arrive, and as they uh, go into the TARDIS, is there's yeah, well, oh, but but there's some drama first because so Polly and Ben have climbed up on their own through a shaft uh-huh. and they assume uh, Polly in particular is thinking that um that th- the doctor and Ben are dead. Oh right. Mm-hmm. And and she's also cuz she's barely been able to get up here. She's been complaining since the first episode about how she can't go on and she's certainly complaining about it here. Um so she apparently doesn't have a lot of stamina could probably use some zumba lessons or something. <laughs> <laughs> But in fact, uh, Ben and the doctor have also emerged and they kind of sneak up on Polly and Jamie. It's like, guess what? We're alive. Yeah. Jamie almost sticks the doctor with his dirk because he surprised him. Yeah, right. You're right. Because Polly, yeah, she was crying uh, at the thought that they were dead. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting, nice kind of dramatic thing. I mean, we, the viewers, know they're not dead because we've been tracking them. Right. But it's still, you know, it, we didn't have this, okay, we're all together again, let's all climb up together. And right. they explore the consequences of not having that happen. It's like, we just, these groups had to fend for themselves getting out of there. In fact, the, the Atlanteans still think the Doctor is dead at this point. Yeah. They think mm-hmm. he sacrificed himself. But since we know they're going to rebuild Atlantis, that means it still exists in our time. It's mm. just hidden. Ooh. The 13th so we could Doctor. go back there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, the, as the Doctor and companions, they head into the TARDIS. We have uh, Sean and Jacko have survived, and they see them going down inside it. And then Sean, oh, Irish Sean says, oh, no, I can't believe it. And Jacko says, what? He says, a flaming English police boss. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be something uh, Sean would be aghast at the idea of English police boxes, even in Atlantis. And then the uh, the episode ends with the TARDIS going off course because the doctor was trying to prove he could control it. And so we that's where we end up with, uh, I think they were trying to go to Mars. That's right. And they end up. Uh, well, as we'll find out, going to the moon instead. That's the end of the story. Do you guys have any uh, further notes? Anything left? Um, this ep- this story, for some reason, um, it was viewed either at the time or subsequently in fandom. It was viewed kind of negatively. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, watching it, I don't see why. I think it's a fun adventure. I like it. I, I, one of the reasons I saw, I kind of looking around, was uh, it was it's just you know it started out as a good strong adventure story but it became almost comedic with the professor and all that with the uh, you know he's the greatest mind since you know michelangelo or whoever it was and you know 
all these things, you know, and it's just it, the over the topness, you know, some of the stuff yeah. we complain about new who it's, you know, it's kind of some of that stuff in there where it gets just a little over the top. Yeah, I still I still thought it was fun. And I really like yeah, the fact they're doing this visually different type of episode where we have this underwater stuff. It reminds me in a way of uh, the Web Planet, which was a first Doctor story, which is set on a planet of insects. And and with you have this insect society that's visually very different than anything else we've seen on the show. Mm-hmm. And even though it's cheap effects and cheap budgets, I still like it when they're trying like that. Yep. Yeah, I think part of it is that the cheap sets, the cheap effects, uh, I think that might have undermined a little because listening to the story, the story itself is a good story. I, I yes. enjoyed it uh, without oh, I seeing it. So I think that might be part of it, too. So, uh, uh, go ahead, Father Corey. Uh, you know, first of all, at the end, as they walk into the TARDIS, Doctor says, right, off we go into the wild blue yonder, as someone was once heard to remark. Of course, I immediately recognize that. That's the U.S. Air Force song. Yeah. <laughs> right. Off we go into the wild blue yonder, flying high over the sky, and all, on and on, you know. That was, you know, so, of course, as being Air Force, it was like, oh, hey, I recognize that line well. I had to learn <laughs> that song at basic yeah. training. You kind of have to. Um and then secondly, just kind of a tip for people who might not know this, you know, like Dom and I both did this on Audible. If you don't have an Audible subscription, which I don't because I don't listen to that many audiobooks, I do more podcasts, buy it through Amazon. You're going to save money. I save it was like a buck 30, a buck 35 less to buy this on Amazon than it was to buy direct from Audible. Right. So just kind of a little hint, at least here in the United States. If you don't have a membership, if you, if have, you a membership, have a membership, it's cheaper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Audible, Amazon owns Audible, but for whatever reason, if you buy it from Amazon.com by first going to <laughs> smile.amazon.com and selecting SQPN as your charity, or go to our website and go to the this, the show notes for this episode, then we'll have a link there too. Uh, but if yeah. you if you buy it through Amazon directly for whatever reason the price is lower, yeah, that's true. At least, so at least for our listeners in the states, it's a little hint just to yeah. save a little bit of money. Or go to the Doctor Who store at sqpn.com and buy the DVD for this episode. That's you right. can watch the visuals like I did. Yep, that's yep. you'll find them there, too. Yes. Uh, so, very good. I mentioned we have feedback. We have feedback on our episode where we discussed the fourth Doctor story, The Horror of Fang Rock. Uh, Bennett Gillespie tells us from the UK uh, about whites of their eyes. He says it's a, mm-hmm. a phrase co- in common use in the UK. We had, wait till you see the whites of their eyes. Uh, mm-hmm. they get close. But my guess is most people have no idea of the source, in, in most people in the UK, as I don't. I wouldn't claim to be the most knowledgeable person, though. My guess is it helps that you are more invested in celebrating the source of the attributed quote than we would be. Yeah. yeah. And I think I, I think I mentioned in when we did that episode that um, it did appear before the American Revolution, but it was famed for its use during the American Revolution. Right. Right. And then uh, Alfonso Oliveros adds a, a comment. He said uh, he gave us a link to a YouTube video, and I'll put the link in the show notes uh, about this incident that occurred. Not it's not directly about the horror of Fang Rock, but about the time when the horror of Fang Rock was broadcast in Chicago on Chicago Public Radio. Yeah. the The broadcast in, in 1987, I think it was, was hijacked for a minute and a half by some TV pirate folks with a weird Max Headroom-like video. And uh, if you watch the video that, that I'll, I'll get a link to, he explains who Max Headroom is and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, G- uh, Jimmy, you said you remembered hearing about this, right? 
Oh, yeah. I've known about this for a long time, um, being a fan both of Doctor Who and Max Headroom. Uh, Max Headroom was a character from the 1980s who was uh, allegedly a computer gen- He was really an actor. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It was Matt Frewer, um, but it was an actor portraying a computer-generated talk show host named Max Headroom. And he, um, some guy, uh, wore a Max Headroom mask and had a kind of fake-up of a Max Headroom set. Um, and hacked in to the broadcast of this episode and, you know, blathered on the air for a little bit. And it's never been solved. Nobody ever figured out who this guy was. But you can, if, if you, uh, if you go on YouTube, they'll, they have video from the actual hijacking. You can watch it. Right. Well, the, the actual hijacking video is in this video that we got the link from as well as the discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, basically juvenile Pretty juvenile yeah, yeah yeah i mean yeah but it you know the, the hijacking a tv signal like that is a federal crime um uh, was easy- so, so so you know don't <laughs> yeah, so no. yeah exactly although it was easier back in the analog days and it's certain than it is mm-hmm. today in in many in many ways so uh you wouldn't be able to do the same thing today uh they just do it differently so that was interesting so thank you both bennett and uh, alfonso for your feedback so I think that's it from us. What did you think of the Underwater Menace and our discussion of it? Before we finish, though, I want to, one of the most important things I do, which is to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Doctor Who. And this week we're thinking, uh, I'm gonna, it's another one of those names I didn't want to mess up, but Irenus R, Paul O, David M, Michael V, and John G, their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who in all the shows we do at StarQuest. And if you want to support us uh, financially like they do, we would greatly appreciate it if you would go to sqpn.com slash give and become a patron or make a one-time gift. Either one is great. But uh, if you become a patron, we have some nice gifts we'd like to give you as well and some exclusive content that we're starting to make for patrons. So very nice. So if you have something you want to tell us about this show, the the episode that we just discussed, the Underwater Menace, or anything about Doctor Who, you can do so by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send us an email to doctorwho at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 10th Doctor story, Partners in Crime, with the return of Donna. Very nice. Much anticipated by some of our listeners. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, a man of science doesn't need the backing of thugs. Ryan, this is going to be fun.